Hello and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Joey Morgan. Today I'm here with Jacob Licklider. My lips are dead. And uh, Mason, a.k.a. the GD256. Yeah, that's it. Hello, everyone. Mason is obviously a, uh, a newcomer to the Celestial Podcast, but he has an awesome YouTube channel that I linked in the description below. He also has a Twitter account, which I just love because he's extremely active on it, and just, I, I love it. Um, Jacob also has a YouTube channel. I will leave, link, leave that link in the description. Uh, and today we're talking VNAs. Today we're discussing the books Nightshade, Love and War, Transit, and The Highest Science. Um, uh, let's see, spoilers as always. I mean, I guess, you know. Who's watching VNA videos unless they're familiar with the books, of course. Uh, and I guess uh, anything else to say before we jump into this? <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know. We are very tired. It's worth noting. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it is late for all of us, but it's the only time yes. that it worked out for us. So <laughs> That's my fault. I'm sorry about that, guys. It is all your fault. Shun the newcomer. Uh, uh, <laughs> shun not we. <laughs> oh, no. All right. So, uh, so let's jump into this with Nightshade by Mark Gatiss. Who would like to begin? Oh, I think I'll take this one. By um, so, so Nightshade. So anyone who's listening, who is a fan of Mark Gatiss in the new series, hot take, this is Mark Gatiss' best work. That's that's hardly a hot take. Anyone who's read the yeah. book knows it's yeah. his best story. This I completely is, agree with that. This is uh, just a brilliant reflection on the 1960s. Uh, uh, 60s Doctor Who, the idea of the kind of the idea of the hiatus around the time that it was published, um, because it was published in like I think it was published in 92. If, 90, if yeah, 92, yeah, 92. 90. So, you there's at this point when you were really starting to get rumors that Doctor Who would be coming back because it's the 30th anniversary, um, and you know, obviously there were pl- kind of plans. Uh, and it's something that I feel um, Mark Gatiss really capitalized on with with just with the way the story goes. Um, I mean, it's I can kind of see where you're coming from. I was assuming you're mostly referring to like all the all the past references, all the all the yeah, uh, all the all the all the allusions to to Hartnell and Susan and all that. But I don't think yeah. it's it's quite Mark Gatiss playing on that. I think it's just Hartnell and and Susan being involved so heavily. It's just it's just a consequence of what of what the story relies upon. Yeah. That is that is the past and 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 what nostalgia can bring to us all. Um, and 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 the and it's a really smart decision, I think, for the monster of this story to to literally capitalize on people's nostalgia and turn it into a fear and make it a thing that will lure them in for the, so the monster could kill them. Uh, and this takes its form mostly in, in in the Doctor's past. He's he's haunted by Susan and. Um, of course, you know the, the the line, you know, one day I shall come back was was very heavily discussed uh, among among a lot of fan circles at the time, and so the Doctor revisiting Susan was a very hot topic, and uh, so uh, so I guess it could be, be more a product of that, more of like the intrigue of the Doctor fulfilling his promise to come back. But really, I think it's just it's a really smart way of utilizing your plot, um, u- utilizing your main villain, utilizing what your entire story is about. I think it's I think it's a really strong idea. Yeah, and I, I think that especially, and I, I will say, like, to anyone who's, like, listened to the audio adaptation of this, this book is a lot better, I would say. Like, oh, definitely. I, oh, like, yeah. I, I'm, I, and, like, I do like the audio adaptation. I, I don't think it's, like, the greatest thing ever, like I've heard some people call it. Like, I think they hype up uh, Carolyn Ford in it a bit too much, 
Whereas, yeah, which is like, weird because the they because they don't a, a twist. I would say yeah, like, yeah, because they, they don't happen. they don't really because they don't even like increase Susan's role in the story. But yet for some yeah, reason she gets she gets the cover credit. For some reason and, she gets and, the cover. Yeah, she gets the cover credit, and she's like the biggest thing advertised about the story. It's so I, I get why one would do it, you know, be like, oh yeah, Susan and the Seventh Doctor, but it's not that at all. Uh, so it's really odd, but. Overall, I don't like the audio adaptation, but I do eventually want to do Celestial Podcast on the novel adaptations themselves, so I won't delve too much into that right yeah. now. Um, uh, nice. But if we're running with the theme of nostalgia, I think one, the setting is really important. Like, Crook Marsham is just this isolated village, almost like a village that time forgot, and it's set in 1968, which is just a big year. Like, you have the 60s in full swing... Uh, drug culture, hippies, um, you know, a civil unrest in places of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And we're just and we're Cook Marsham is, is is totally separate from all of that. You yeah, know? yeah, this tiny little isolated community, um, which helps add to the horror, obviously, because this is this is overall a horror novel. Oh, um, it is definitely. Yeah, uh, it's, it's frightening in some places. That, 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 that's I, so, that is, while it's still a horror novel, it, what Mark Gatiss so wonderfully does in this, it is, it, it is still so emotionally evocative. It really does, not quite pull on the heartstrings, but it, it really does make you understand the emotional connection that each of our characters has to this. I think one thing that, that really... I, I think Nightshade as a story cannot work in any medium other than the literary medium, as far as a Doctor Who story goes. Because the entire purpose of... of, of of this being prose is so that you could, you could really delve into the backstory and get to know every single one of the, the tiny characters that you meet throughout this book right before they're killed off, right before they are attacked by this monster, right before all that, that wave of nostalgia does come back to them. And, um, and they are easily lured into, uh, lured into the monster that was it called the sentience, I think. And it's such a strong way of doing it. Like seriously, there's no way, this this story could be done just as effectively in any other any other medium. It's so unique, it's, and Mark Gatiss utilizes the format so perfectly. It's also yeah, and really really important is is that the nostalgia. It, it's every character in this book has some dark undercurrent to them, including the Doctor and Ace. Like you have, you know, people who are racist. People uh, you have uh, what what's her uh, what's who's the character the character who is like. Completely guilty about her brother's death, and then, oh, um, uh, uh, oh, Betty, like, Betty, Betty, Edden, Betty Edden, that's her name, right? That's it. Which, yeah, it's, <laughs> Jacob, it's, I'm, I'm, every single little character you bring up in Nightshade, I'm gonna know. Okay, cool. <laughs> nice. And gee, I wonder why. <laughs> and, I mean, you have just some evocative scenes of the corpse in the bathtub. Oh yeah, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, because it is the first time like the sentience properly like attacks someone. Because we learned that um that Betty's uh what brother right was it her yeah. brother yeah her brother was killed um by like a shark attack or whatever and he comes back like he's coming out of the ocean and he comes out of the tub um and he's all he's all uh, you know he's a corpse and he's like just walking corpse and he kills her and then it's such a great scene yeah like you said it is it is so evocative it's so wonderfully descriptive. Um, which is why it baffles me that this is Mark Gatiss's only good novel. <laughs> I, I don't because know. I, I, I do like St. Anthony's Fire. Like, it's definitely not as good, but I do, do like Do you? Ah, oh, I don't like St. Anthony's Fire. No. I, I, no. I, I, I do kind of like it. I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, with, with this story, I do think, like, one of the 
best reasons, like, like one of the biggest reasons why this is a lot better than most of his TV stuff is that it has that emotional connection. Like with all of his like other stuff, I, I think I, I think it was in the um, do bag full review of Empress of Mars where he described it as like just TV you would have on in the background. Like it's just a normal episode of Doctor Who. But with this, it's very much an emotional story, like especially like with Ace. It's very much a story that delves into the emotions and it means something and it yeah. matters. And it's not just a story that like you could have on in the background. Like you have to be thrown into the forefront and it's just it's such an emotional story for like all the characters involved. Yeah. And since you brought up Ace, I do want to bring up one minor complaint I do have with this. And it's really only a thing that can be explained away in the larger context of the VNAs, considering the novel that comes right after Nightshade. But Ace's falling in love with Robin does kind of come out of nowhere. It's only really explained away by Love and War saying, like, Ace has been very, very, very horny lately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, like, so that's about it. I, that's that's a minor complaint. But I do like Robin as a character. I do think, you know, he's just he's just a really nice guy that I can't get into. But as far as supporting characters go, where this novel really shines is in Trevithick. I adore oh, the yeah, Trevithick is... character. Yeah, he's he's mm. he's very he's very obviously a play on on William Hartnell as a person. Um, yeah. This sort of actor sort of past his prime um, who's sort of like being revitalized by um what is it, by the by the nightshade reruns that are happening and 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 he's excited he's excited once more he he's he's kind of loving life again uh it, it's it's really enjoyable to, to read it's really good in the mind sentience comes and just rips away all that hope like yeah yeah actually just, one yeah. one minor one minor bit that often gets overlooked and i often forget about it until i and i, I completely forgot about it until i read it for the audiobook that i did um about the one reporter who actually never even properly meets Trevithick, the guy that's uh first sent from the bbc to interview him um and he gets like he gets like sent back after he um what's the what's the lady's name that uh that works at the uh the old person's home for Trevithick? jill mason that's it and and so like so like she's mm-hmm. leaving like, the old people away and she, only she meets the reporter and she sends him back to like uh, to like get help for the old people or whatever and he dies like he i don't even think it's entirely related to the sentience like he like he starts getting these memories but it causes his car to crash it's a very minor bit but you really do get to know his character before he's just immediately killed off it's so interesting yeah it's great and I, I, I gotta say i i re- i just reread this book i should know more characters names Look, it's 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 it's, it's my me. fault. I, it's my fault. I'm the dumbass who spent nine, ten-ish months recording and editing an audiobook of this thing. Um, also, um, we've barely even talked about the doctor's characterization in this, which I absolutely adore. He feels so old. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just and McCoy, mm-hmm. like for me, I've always seen as like definitely the most end game doctor of them all the doctor that like that would try to end it all so it's totally within his character um and old yeah is definitely the best way to describe him he's so beaten down those those scenes in the tertiary console room right at the beginning are just oh. really powerful <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I just, and i love how on edge he is like um like how he immediately like flips out on ace at the beginning it's um and then like it ends and then switches right back to like oh yeah well we're going here we're going to kirk marsham and um and, and like acting as if nothing happened he is going through like mood swings he is he is just very annoyed at this point and it's totally understandable you understand where his character is coming from it's uh it's a really different take on the doctor and i and i, and I could really get into it yeah and that I, I love the like 
I guess, the journey that he takes in which he starts the story with going, no, I think I'm going to, like, settle down here. Like, I, I would like to stop traveling for a bit. And then at the end of the story, when Ace wants to stop traveling, he doesn't let her. Yeah. And it's such yeah. a shift, and it's and it's amazing, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's very nice role reversal, and and, it, and it's done so well, like so fluently throughout the, throughout the story. Um, really great stuff, seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, one more little note on the uh, on the setting of the story in the sixties. Uh, racism is tackled, I think, very tactfully in this, and in, in the form of Doctor Hawthorne. I think, um, and VJ, like VJ being the person that he's mostly racist against. Yeah. Well, um, and he's kind of like. He's kind of sort of benevolent racist up until the point that the pressure starts to really mount, and then he just turns into a piece of shit. Oh, wait, actually, I just remembered the bit with Dr. Hawthorne. Oh, how he dies. Because the whole time, um... Yeah. He's, like, thinking about, um... What is it? The Br'er Rabbit. He's thinking about that like, with, with, uh... Oh, was it with the Tar Baby? That's it. Yeah, and then... Um, and then oh, that's, the, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing that comes out and kills him. Oh, my God. How good is that? How it good is, is that? Such and they cut great. it out of the audio adaptation. Right. Oh, they cut so much from the audio. It's just, uh, it hurts. I hate the audio, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, just, oh, such a great book. So, so, so wonderfully done. Mark Adis's prose is seriously masterful. And it, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. It's definitely his best Doctor Who story ever. Yeah, agreed. Uh, anything else to add on Nightshade? Uh, uh, go buy it. Definitely. <laughs> that, that, that's a big one. That's a big also, one. <laughs> also, it's not a rare one. It, it's not a rare book. It could, really isn't. Can people stop thinking that most of the VNAs are rare? Can we just can we just stop that, please? Yeah, yeah. Like the first like twenty or so are really easy. Like like actually even past that, like the first like thirty or forty, they're really easy to find. I haven't. Yeah. Spent, I haven't spent that much on a VNA, like beyond the three rare ones that I have. I think I'm only coming up on the. Actually, I got the also people for only fifteen dollars. Like, yeah, it's, you can. Yeah. Like, they're they're not terribly hard to find, and 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 at decent prices. I mean, it's it's not bad. I don't know. I digress. Get Nightshade. Um, ratings out of ten, I guess. Uh, Mason. Um, I'm gonna give it a. Well, are we doing whole numbers or can I do decimals? Uh, you can do decimals. Yeah. Because, like, I would give this a ten out of ten. If not for the fact that Love and War was right after this one, like, <laughs> that is one of the only books that could follow this up with any sort of like good like levity or whatever. So yeah. I'm gonna have to give it a nine point five. If if this was any other situation, I'd, I'd give it a straight ten. Fair enough, Jacob. I give it a nine for quite a few of the same reasons as Mason. Also, there are just a couple of points that I think don't work. Like I think the interludes, you could, the interlude in like the 1500s, could be cut pretty easily. <laughs> It's not an interlude. It's actually it, it's a really short chapter. It's like it's like chapter four or five, where the doctor, like the previous chapter, like has the doctor about to read the book. He's about to read the story of of how the sentients came came to the to the monastery, and then that then that's just the chapter. It's the shortest chapter in the book. I know because it took me a day to read through and like an extra day to edit. <laughs> um, mm. But uh, but no, I mean, I mean, I guess that kind of drags it down. But also, the main thing that does kind of detract from it for me is the Ace Romance, which only works with the retrospective Love and War. But I'm going to give it a nine. Still, it's a it's a wonderful novel. So uh, let us move on to Love and War by Paul Cornell. Uh, who would like to begin? The man himself. The man. Uh, can I can I start with this one? By all means. So, so 
Um, I I first heard this as an audio adaptation. And as did I, I actually. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it, it was actually my my first ever Benny audio. And Same. Yeah. You know, actually, I think I think I heard this first as an audio wait, too. Oh wait, no, no, no. My first Benny audio was Company of Friends. Actually, yeah. Sorry, go on. My first oh. Benny audio was Shadow of the Scourge, but I digress. Oh, nice. And well, like when I first listened to it, I just got it because like it was Benny's like first audio, and she had been a character that had been popping around at Big Finish a lot, and I had no idea that this was the story that was supposed to be Ace's original exit. Oh. So when that first happened, I was so like taken aback, and it was amazing, and it See, was it was just so good. That's weird because I think I, Love and War has the reputation. I think it's more well known as Ace's exit than than being Betty's introduction. Uh, Which is shame def- because Ace has realized it is set piece. Well, yeah, yeah, but also I mean I think overall this is a this is a slightly more fitting exit for Ace's character. Uh, maybe I don't, I don't i don't i don't know if that's controversial but um, i mean come on I, I like in my mind like ace ace and the doctor we're never going to leave on good terms but i digress well yeah like and and this was very early in my own exploration of the audio medium like i think this was the first audio i ever got with the sidebar cover because at this point i like all i had listened to really was like the first 50 mcgann audios because the, the like those were the ones i was buying so at this point, I really wasn't versed in Big Finish, so I didn't know which stories had which reputations, mm-hmm. which I think did like a world of me like in listening to this story because it just made that emotional, like, event so much harder for me. Mm-hmm. And like in uh, rereading the book, it's just, it's just such a good story. I love it so much, and there was like. It's one of the, I think it's the only adaptation that I think in some places, like, not not completely, but in some places surpasses the novel just because it has those performances from uh, McCoy and Aldred, especially in that last scene. Yeah, I'll agree with that, actually. I'll agree, I'll agree with that last scene, at least, being better than the book, because you can hear Aldred, like... It's it's a line that sticks in my head. I I adore the way Aldred delivers. We can't have well, we can't have been like uh, when the doctor said like we we were mates. Like I just I love that 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 is that is very very few audio delivery lines like the, the way lines are delivered on audio properly stick in my head. But that one always does. I adore that. Um, yeah, love that. And overall, I mean, the book is just wonderful. I uh, Paul Cornell once again absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, and also, there's something. Well, I do agree the audio is at least just as good as the as the book. There's something to be said about the way Cornell writes metaphor and allusions to the um, the Eternals, mainly to to death. How with the whole themes of owls being a representation of time lords and death and interference, it's a it's a recurring theme throughout his through, throughout his books. That that's sort of what that means. Um, yeah. And it's sort of the way the book opens with like owls flying and this this flashback and this genuinely everything is so heartbreaking. Um, Actually, people people, um, people, so, people sometimes say that like to say that the title is sort of the shortening of the All's Fair in Love and War. I disagree with that. I think it's meant to be taken as an equalizing of love is war. Um, 
just I think I think both descriptions are apt. Just I think because like you have all these like little mini things going on. Like you have one in in sort of the the aces past. You have the whole stuff with Julian, who is oh, just an amazing character. Like, um, oh yeah. Also, yeah. The, the writing here is really subtle. Um, Julian is is never directly stated that he's gay, um, and that he did definitely die of AIDS. But he definitely did die of AIDS, and he was most definitely gay. Um, but they like, never that say is... that, and it doesn't need to be said because Cornell's writing definitely gets that across. Um, I, and I love the idea of the Huthai as sort of this almost an allegory for AIDS. Like yeah, just, just think about it. That's what mm. Cornell is doing. It is, um, and also like, like can we also appreciate like Cornell's world building because the Hutai were just a throwaway villain effort. Like they were just a throwaway line in the brain of Morbius. They they they, they were. We don't even nothing. know that they were villains. They were just. It was just a species. Yeah, they're um, just talking about another species, and Cornell was like, "Oh, that's a cool name. I'll develop upon that," and he totally does, and makes them easily one of the scariest Doctor Who monsters ever. I adore Partially because they could just be anywhere. It's it's like they're so small, they're so easy to do them. They can just go through the simplest little crack. It's it's preying on this. It's, it's preying on this, like just the fear of and, like and like worms and, and things. What, and what a perfect place to to utilize flesh monsters than on a on a, on a planet literally that is literally just a giant graveyard i adore that idea such a but strong idea even, yeah. even before the hooth i show up in this novel you already have that feeling of just it's it's dark like even with the happiness of like the travelers being you know having their um, you know free love and, and and trying to have a life you have this you just you have this this feeling that this this foreboding that Oh God! This planet has seen hell, and it's not over yet. This—it's almost like, it's almost like we're celebrating before the war's actually over, which yeah. is terrifying. Oh, it's so um, good. yeah, I love it. Um, since we since uh quickly back get back on the topic of differences between the the audio and the novel because I, that's how we started this conversation at least. Um, there's one scene that I really want to talk about in the book that's not in the audio. One of the very few scenes that the, that the audio cuts out because the audio keeps in almost everything. But a scene that I'm mm-hmm. personally a big fan of, and I understand why it was cut because you know there are some continuity issues with the, with a certain set of lines within it. But uh, the 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 audio cuts this one great sequence in the book. Um where Ace is dreaming about the Doctor. That is definitely a real sequence within the Doctor's mind as well, where he visits death and, and, he, and he makes another bargain with her, um, something that continues over into the rest of Cornell's novel, specifically into human nature. Um, and, and the Doctor talks a bit about how, how he would bargain his own life uh, uh, to save Ace's. And, uh, and and Death accepts that offer, of course. Except that is that is a theme that's played, that's played upon later in Human Nature. The Doctor's debt eventually has to be repaid. But also another thing that I love about that scene is it develops upon Death's history with the Doctor, specifically the Seventh Doctor, because they, they mentioned their dance on the moon in, in Time War Revelation. And, and the only reason they, it wasn't included in the audio is most definitely... Because of the because of the sixth doctor line, yeah. Um, well, not even necessarily the sixth doctor line. I think it was just because of time, because they adapted the prelude on the third disc with Charlie Hayes coming back as death. So, well, if they had Charlie Hayes, they definitely could have done the scene. But no, I think it's because of the sixth doctor line that they cut it because. Um, 
uh, the doctor says, I gave you my sixth self to, um, uh, for wisdom or whatever. And, uh, and death is like, Oh no, you, 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 you like gleefully ran your TARDIS in, into the Ronnie's beam and, and you, and you forced your way out. Uh, you, you, you killed your sixth self and he'll become the Valley art for that. There's, there are definitely some continuity issues there, but I love that idea. And that is an idea that, from the VNA that I absolutely adore. And I, and I still kind of stand by the, the doctor's I don't know, deal with death. Entirely, it is isn't entirely impossible with what we have. Yeah, it just does kind of devalue the last adventure in a way. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I still like this more because I just love the Seventh Doctor more as a character. It's just such like a metal idea of the Seventh Doctor literally killing his sixth self. Yeah, that's it's, great. I love it. It is. Oh, it's so good. Um, and of course, this has this this. This is a story that has ramifications for the rest of the VNAs. Like even after Ace is gone from the VNAs, um, there's still, even when Benny's gone, there's still points where this story and the way it affects the Doctor will still keep cropping up. Uh, I'm being vague because I know but, you two haven't gotten but, necessarily but, but, back but to it but yet. But Jacob, Jacob, will it affect the Doctor as much as the Pit? <laughs> And the seven planets, because you know how many times that shit's that brought is, up in feature uh, novel. Yeah, that shit. <laughs> oh no! But more on that later. Uh, yeah. So uh, what else? And I I do have one tiny snag, and I'm I'm unsure if this is a problem with Nightshade or a problem with this, but I'll explain. The end of Nightshade is really not addressed at the beginning of this book. Because it ends with Ace just, like, being completely upset with the Doctor, and, like, obviously she's very distressed. But then this book just starts off with Ace just like, oh, I guess, well, I'm traveling with the Doctor, and we're just going off and doing adventures. And it, it really doesn't have that emotional, I guess, connection that I would have liked. It, it's not I, a big issue with it, and, and it doesn't take off any points all, for me, but it, it's just something I have to bring up. I'll... I'll, I'll agree to an extent, but at the same time, I will defend it because I think I think you just have to th- think about it a bit more. And that, like, immediately after Nightshade, I guess it could be explained. You know, a few days go by. I think the Doctor would definitely avoid seeing Ace at all. You know, after that point, let it cool down a bit. But also, the reason that uh, where we pick up with Ace and the Doctor in Love and War is at Julian's funeral, uh, and it's after what Ace had Ace had like had like dreamt about julian or whatever um which, or the, uh, which was clearly death imp- getting yeah w- that w- was de- death yeah it was, it was like her sending that message to ace head. yeah that makes sense um and so and so like that sort of sets it into motion like ace is thinking about julian so she asked to go see him and that would i think i would i don't think it would be too much of a stretch to think of like that being the first time that ace had spoken to the doctor since nightshade Okay, yeah, I could see that. I, th- I think that could be right. so, it, like it does require just a bit more of a stretch of the imagination, but I think it's I think you could explain it away fairly easily. Uh, but and I it mean, still it, works. It, isn't that just all Doctor Who canon at this point? <laughs> yeah, you could explain it away. Just you know, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it still works, and and, and I guess you know, it, it, Nightshade more than anything is 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 there too exemplify the the, the 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 strain that the Doctor and Ace's relationship is under and will be under for an extended period of time. Uh, 
and so and so and, and that obviously works really well as a, as a prelude to love and war and uh, and continues to strain their relationship all leading up to easily the main event of this story which is ace's exit and yes. i think it really couldn't be more perfect than it is jan actually before we get into that i want to talk about jan because we yeah how do we, no, how jan... do we, how, how do we feel about jan as a character because I, I, it's only come to my attention recently that this is something of a topic for debate. Is it really? really? It's come to my attention that basically there are two sides of the camp. Like one that like there is no way that Ace would ever fall for Jan because Jan is such an asshole. And then there's the other side of the camp, which I'm personally on that. It totally makes sense that Ace it would fall sense. for a guy like Ace Jan. Ace is grieving. Ace is at the beginning. Yeah. Ace is in a state of emotional distress. Like, Ace will cling on to the first thing she sees, especially someone, have... especially someone as emotionally damaged as as Jan is. Yeah, they're two very damaged people. Jan's backstory is he's he's a fascinating character because he almost perfectly matches up with that uh, third Doctor quote: "The courage is more than just not being frightened." It's uh, being afraid and doing what you have to do anyway, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Because yes, he is terrified. He calls himself a coward. He kind of rightfully so blames himself for Christopher's condition. Um, yeah. And he's he's yeah. just putting on this mask of like happy-go-lucky, uh, and like it, it feels like he almost he kind of knows that everything is going to crash and burn, mm-hmm. but it's like. And- what even what makes even more sense about it is because they're both so damaged. It it does make a sort of toxic relationship. They're just kind of feeding each other's emotional angst and and not really resolving any of their issues. And that and that's why the exit works in retrospect. Like when 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 you bring Ace back, uh, you can sort of play on the fact that Ace was never really properly in love with Jan. That you know they, they didn't really have an emotional connection. I mean, I guess they did. They could relate uh, for their emotional uh, on a level of their emotional struggle, but they never quite clicked in the way that I, I feel like a couple should in that way. Like they, they were never going to last because they were pretty, eh, pretty damaging to one another. They both just kind of yeah. kept feeding each other. I think part of that is just because Ace, Ace isn't, uh, Ace is an example of a character who I don't want to say is asexual, but is definitely not going to have your standard like romantic life like could you really imagine ace some point in the future falling in love really like no Mm-mm. no she's like she's i know people are like oh ace is bi because lesbian subtext and survival no, i mean ace she is. is i would say ace is more well asexual in the I, sense I mean, of eh. Well, asexual implies yeah. something completely different from what Ace is. I think. I think what you're looking more for is just like she's just detached. Or maybe enough. aromantic. Maybe aromantic is the word, term I'm looking for. That's more apt. Yeah. Just yeah. she's just more yeah. emotionally detached. Like she is definitely capable of feeling for other people, and she and she <laughs> she is most definitely capable of physically feeling for other people. Um, yes. As as the Viennese will most definitely show us, but yes. But yeah, I think I think you are right in the fact that like she can never, as a character, properly connect with someone because Ace has gone through so much, especially with the Doctor. And as yeah. such, Jan's sacrifice leads Ace down this 
god awful road and and her absolute hatred for the doctor is completely reasonable let let's be honest yeah. the doctor is an, the doctor is an asshole <laughs> uh it's really well done uh love those last couple scenes between the doctor and ace i i love that i love that benny's just kind of there observing it because what a story for benny to to first jump into and what's interesting you know, is that she, benny still makes such a good impression as a character like yeah Especially just like throwing her throwing her into such an important story as Love and War that she still yeah, shines. This is a great that, she, that, that, that her very first story, she does see the worst of the worst as far as the Doctor's personality goes. And it doesn't bug her because she's already come from a past where she's seen what Daleks can do. Well, it does still bother her. Let's not forget the scene after Ace officially leaves where the Doctor does convince her to come with her, come with him because Penny's like, oh, I don't know. I kind of saw what you did back there. Uh, can you like at least prove to me that you're not going to do anything. The doctor's like, no, I can't prove to you because I'm just, I don't know if I could change. I can say I'm going to change, but I, I don't know if I can. And the doctor is very open about it. The doctor is very emotionally vulnerable, which is a place we don't really see the doctor at. It, it, it is a proper continuation to Nightshade because while he's not quite moping in the same way that he was in Nightshade, he does still, he is still open in that way. It, that, that that wound is still open, and uh, and that is only made worse, obviously, by Ace leaving him. She, and also, she also she gets she she's not quite comic relief in the book, but she's the one person in the book who who gets kind of a happy ending. A little mm. bit, I would uh, like. I guess. Well, okay, yeah. She gets yeah. to live. She gets to live. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more than you can say for most of the people in this. Yeah, book. yeah. Um, speaking of people, of, of, of other people in this book that die, and her first scene is amazing. Her first scene, just in the tomb, um, with the Palmar's door. Oh yeah, the, Enjoy the, while it lasts because it's about to be blown down. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Uh, oh, it's so good. Um. <laughs> I I I I did that scene too, uh, somewhat recently in the audiobook, and I I think I still have the raw file of me just laughing my ass off because I forgot the Paul Mars thing was in there. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, which character is it? Uh, is it Rosha or um or Moira that gets infected? Oh, uh, it's one of them. They and, both get infected eventually. Yeah. Yeah, but, but but the one that gets it first because she, they, like that weighs on her the entire time. It, it's, Rosha, it, Rosha, Rosha was the one who gets infected first. Yeah, and she's the one that wants um, to stay there, and it, or, and eventually she decides like I'm going to stay here and everyone else leave, and she knows it's because she's infected, she's going to die, and that's a really strong piece of of character drama off to the side there, and it is mostly off to the side, but it still does kind of weigh at the back of your mind. Well, and, and Moira and Rosha are lovers. They are, you know. Well, Rosha is with is with Jan at the beginning, but then, but Moira. Yeah, it's an open relationship, I yeah. think. Well, no, because cause the condition is that like Jan can be with whoever he likes. Rosha's a bit more protective, but then when she realizes that Jan is wants to be with Ace, then she is more open to Moira, who Moira has always been after Rosha, so it makes sense. Uh, well, I guess not makes sense, but yeah, it, it fits within the open open relationship description. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else, and I guess that about does it. Unless anyone else had anything else to add. Uh, uh, Phaedrus, Phaedrus the villain. Oh, Phaedrus is good. Oh, God, like he Phaedrus. is. And we, you know, I don't think we talked about the scenes with Ace and her mother. Oh, Those my as God. well. Yeah. 
that's another thing that I think like the adaptation has an ever so slight edge over the book because of the performances. Because like whenever I read the book now, like because obviously because I I heard the adaptation first, I kind of had that initial like it, like impression whenever I go back to the book. But like whenever I read those scenes, I just hear the voices in my head so much more clearly. And it's such an emotional scene and it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It is really well done. Um, yeah, I mean I think I think I think more staying on the topic of the book, I think Paul Cornell's prose really really does shine there because you really do feel it much like much like Nightshade, it is very evocative with its emotions. You you really do feel what Ace is feeling. Um because Paul Cornell's writing style is just that strong. And it's interesting because Paul Cornell, I think, wrote some of the shortest VNAs ever in the entire range. Um, and he still could, and he still could come out with, with such powerhouses of books. Each and Cornell's every time. an author who knows, who knows how to use space effectively. He's, yeah. Yeah. And the book just, the book just glides because I love and war. I remember was, was one of the books that I read the fastest of the entire. Of I've the read entire no shade and love and war for the first time in November of 2015 over the Thanksgiving weekend. And it was at that point where I think, I think that was the point where McCoy became my favorite doctor. It was that's these reason. two books. Yeah, that's these reason. two books did it. Um, they were both PDFs. Um, Pathetic. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing I was upset about because, like, before this uh, podcast, I was trying to reread some of the books, and I had the Nightshade imprint. And I had ordered the Love and War, but it hadn't like arrived yet. So I read through the entire PDF, and then I got home from school that day, and I had a package. And you want to guess what was inside <laughs> of the package? Happy I'm going to take a wild was... guess and say it was Love and War. <laughs> happy ending. Yes, it was, and I was upset. <laughs> oh God, sounds fun. Uh, all right, yeah. so I guess that about does it for Love and War. Let's um, give. Actually, the... I do have one more thing I'd like to say. Because um, okay. we haven't really touched on Christopher as a character. Um, I think Christopher is a fascinating mind as someone who lost their sex. That's just a fascinating idea. Mm. Like. And then, um, and then he and then he dies fairly on early on in the book and still like continues yeah. to live through pewter space. I, I think it's there are some really cool high sci-fi concepts there. Yeah. Um that are really well explored because again, Cornell's writing style just glides. Um it's wonderful. And the idea so, yeah. that, that removing the sex just changed Christopher as a being is heavily implied here. Yeah. Like because Christopher definitely not Christopher uh, Jen when he's talking about his backstory definitely describes Christopher as if like they were on the same wavelength as as if like you know they they acted they the same with each other at uh, one point yeah <laughs> that makes sense mm. uh, but hey there's never been diversity in Doctor Who what no, never ever <laughs> Jacob um, which I guess is ironic probably definitely the most lesbian heavy Doctor Who story. Uh, to come not too long after uh, survival with a slight connection of, I guess, Lisa Bowerman <laughs> <laughs> who plays Benny. And, and it's, yep. and it doesn't back away from it. It's like, we know that our audience are mature adults. We don't have the BBC bring, breathing down our necks. We're going to put it in there. 
Yeah, definitely. And yeah. and it's and it's just there. It's not it's not given like the attention of like here is our diversity. It's like it's just there and it's cool and it's it's very natural. All right, so uh, ratings out of ten for Love and War. I'm going to give it a solid ten out of ten. Uh, Jacob, uh, yeah, ten out of ten. It's again beautiful. This was the first Doctor Who book uh, VNA that I bought in print because of how beautiful it is. Yeah, and Mason, I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, it's <laughs> obviously a ten. I, I I could not I could not talk about this book this long without just being able to give it a ten out of ten. It's great. I love it. Oh, so damn good. Uh, needless to say, if you haven't read Love and War, please do. So let us move on to Transit by Ben Aronovich. Mason, I know you're probably the most favorable to this one of the three of us. Would you like to begin? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll begin. Now, I, I have an interesting relationship, I guess, with this book and The Highest Science. So I guess a little bit of a spoiler for my opinion on that. I don't like The Highest Science as much as I like Transit. Even though I'm sure Highest Science is probably a better written novel, but I think because of my own love for the genre that Transit is playing with, it just makes me love this book a lot. Now, it's not as good as Nightshade. It's not as good as Love and War, obviously, but it's cyberpunk, and I love cyberpunk. It is my favorite genre of all time. I've, I love reading like stuff like Neuromancer, just a bunch of other stuff written by, like, uh, uh, written by William Gibson, Blade Runner, all this stuff. It's great. And this story is such an awesome cyberpunk. It, it, it has such an awesome cyberpunk setting and aesthetic. And I just because of that, I just love it so much. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a really strong setting. I think Aronovich's prose definitely helps a lot of that because Aronovich is another one who's just whose prose I could so easily get into. He, well, I think um, part of it is is because Aronovich, in his novelization for *Remembrance of the Daleks*, was essentially setting he was setting the bar for the VNAs. That was the test run, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really does pick up on a lot of the threads here. Like, this is this is the. Hmm, I don't want to say it's the it's it's it, this is one of the first real VNAs that I think does a good job of establishing sort of the universe and a lot of the main themes. Because um, there's one, they're very one. It is cyberpunk. That's 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 what it is. Um, but it's it's a story where you really you set up sort of what this future Earth looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you set up the solar transit system. Uh, you set up, you know, the ice warrior human conflicts, and sort of how racism and prejudice has evolved in, in like in the century between when it was written and when it takes place. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, racism is something that's going to eventually change and never completely go away. It's just going yeah. to eventually shift, probably yeah, to a it's different just group. Yeah. In, um, in, a, in a way, it's a it's a sort of precursor for Ross Forrester's character, you know, setting up that, that racism will still exist, oh, yeah. but, not, but, but not but not in the way that we primitive humans will understand. I mean, just it's, it's, just it's, it's, it, we're, we're going to know racism on a much ago, larger a of, scale eventually. Just as yeah. fifty years ago, racism was very different than ra- in in a lot of aspects than racism is today. Yeah, um, uh, oh. it's. 
It's, it's, it's so well done. But also, like, Aronovich is just the damn king of, of world building. He's he's so great at setting up uh, the function of transit, uh, the way the entire world works. Also, one thing, one aspect, because you brought up the Ice Warriors, Jacob. One thing I really like that this book does is it sort of just normalizes um, other alien cultures existing in Doctor Who, like on a regular basis, you know, in the same stories. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, like, I, like, 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 like the ice wars, are, like the ice wars are there in the Peladon stories, and they are more more normalized there. But also, the ice wars are still treated like an event. Where here's just like they're just part of the story, and I really appreciate that. I love that it's something that's 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 made more casual as two goes along. And it's something that clearly only will work in like a novel or an audio, because you know on on television you have oh, yeah, can, that yeah, which just because that just cause you can't just the pull budget. up the ice wars costumes every five stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you can't do that on on, on uh, in prose because yeah you you can't just play with that world a lot more. It's also uh, the first VNA that uses the word fuck. It is, and I guess it's an excellent times. time. I guess it is an excellent time to bring up the controversy surrounding trends. <laughs> okay, can I actually talk about this? So because weird. I have the well, no, no, because I have I have the story, and Joey knows about this. I don't know, Mason, if you know about this, because I originally reviewed mm. all the VNAs. So. Because, well, because what you I've, you really I've, didn't like trans. I reviews, did not yeah. like it. Now, part of that was partly where where I was as a person. I was, you know, still in high school. I was, was like, also in high icky, school. F words in my in my. I was also so, yeah. still. I was also still very. I was still Catholic. Oh, oh Jesus! <laughs> not a very hard Catholic, but still had belief. Yeah. So, um, oh, so, 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 your favorite scene in transit was definitely the scene describing the the taste of semen in in the hooker's mouth. No, right? oh, no, it made me it made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, but then I I reread it. Um, I reread it for the novel adaptations because, yeah, Spoilers, already it, it's already scripted. Yeah, it's scripted. <laughs> And some of the some oh, of it's toned yeah. down a little bit, but I still I now have definitely appreciate it much more than I did. That it's this is a book that is unabashedly adult, dealing with adult I problems. Mean, I mean, really, like as a story, it's 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 more standard than most of Aronovich's work. I think more most of Aronovich's work stands out more. But also, like people treat this as a lesser Doctor Who story when really all you have to do is look past the language of the subject matter. But even then, the language of the subject matter where it is just a little, a little bit over the top, <laughs> being the merciless. Um, but even then, like the language and the subject matter is still fitting. It's fitting for this world that Aronovich sets up. It's it's so well done. People do just casually talk the way they do in this book, and I'm sure that won't it change makes, in, in, in hundreds of years. Well, one, it makes yeah. it feel really gritty, and it makes it fit with the just the genre of cyberpunk. Yeah, like yeah, it's um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 def- it's definitely cyberpunk thing. Yeah, it's so definitely more like. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, like it's a very cyberpunk thing to just have like these adult things, like just being just normal. Like in almost every single cyberpunk like thing I've experienced, there's just been like a random side character that was a prostitute, and that was just like a normal thing that the story would do. 
and you know sometimes it was used better than like other cases but like that's like this isn't a video about that but like it's just normal things that cyberpunk does and i think that like in the case of the controversy people really needed to put their mind in the mindset of reading a cyberpunk novel rather than reading a continuation of the bbc doctor who series which, Which I think is possible. But even but even then, let's be real. Like the VNAs have been getting continuously more and more adult, despite the the backstep of Witchmark up to this yeah. point. They've been getting more have, and more up to this point. Read... If if you haven't been expecting this up to this point, you're. I mean, come on. What book series have you been reading? You know? well, if, if yeah. This was the, I, I can understand. This is this one. This probably should not be the first VNA that you read. Well, yeah, but I mean, come on. Who's, who's make this the first? Partially... You read? <laughs> um, and I guess it's only book ten possibly it could have been people's first and that's why some people didn't like it because well let's be honest before this point the only big name writer they had was Dix so Wait, having I, been around wouldn't wouldn't Platt be pretty big name he had just oh, written right, a new series I, too and Cartmel oh, right. I mean come on come on they're all they're all fairly big name Cartmel maybe not as much because Cartmel was a script editor. And, <laughs> and, 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 and Nigel Robinson and John Peel wrote some of those prolific Target novels. I mean, the the only re- real fresh faces there were, were Cornell and, and Andrew Hunt. Oh, and Gatiss. Yeah, but like, Aronovich yeah. wrote Remembrance of the Dollars, which is a story that was basically, even at the time, lauded yeah. as Doctor Who's back on form. Yeah, and um, it, it it was universally adored. Yeah, it makes sense. So, and Aronovich is universally let's be adored. Honest, as a Platt had controversy because of Ghostlight. Yeah, because, yeah. And, and, because and, let's and, be honest, and, and writing a book like I, Crucible didn't make it much better. <laughs> as much as I adore Ghostlight, <laughs> yes, seeing it one episode a week for th- over three weeks is not the ideal viewing setting for that piece of brilliance. But I also have to defend the the more adult themes of transit because. Come on, that's what the VNAs are. Isn't there an actual quote by Ben Aronovich talking about this book? He's like, they said too broad and too deep. Isn't this what we were doing? Like, I was I was told this is what we were yeah. doing. Like, it makes sense. I, I, like, nothing got lost in translation. This is exactly what the VNAs are. It just goes that extra step further. Um, it's yeah. so weird to me that, like, a, like fr- from reading it, it feels like this was more controversial than Time Worm Genesis. And I have no Almost. idea how that's possible. Yeah, I don't think anyone, there wasn't, there isn't, I think the Time Worm Genesis controversy is all pr- fairly recent, actually. Like, isn't people didn't know. Weird. That couldn't, oh, you know what? Probably. It's more recent. You know what? You know, I'll give Time Worm Genesis. No, I'm not going to even time, give Time Worm Genesis anything. I'll say this about Time Worm Genesis. Um, at the time, I suppose it would be a little bit more acceptable to be overtly sexual than to be legitimately gross in your language. Because yeah. in Time Worm Genesis, at, like, no matter what the subject matter is, there's no gross language. I'll That's give fair. it that. And I, and, I, and I think I guess that's what that that's what would throw someone off from transit more, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Transit is is, an, is a million times better though as a book. I mean, come on, Aronovich is 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 a hundred times the writer Peel is. Um, Aronovich uses just uses slightly more colorful language and can talk about things that Peel wants to talk about in a more tactful way. I think. 
he did it in his novelization of Remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah. He he goes deeper yeah. into racism than the TV version did. Uh, he talks about um Oh gosh, what's your character's name? Um Pamela Salem's character, Rachel something. Uh, I should know this. Mc, I'm Mc a Adams, Dr. Mc Adams. McAdams? No. Wait. No. No. Wait. I have literally no idea. <laughs> Is it Jensen? I think it's Rachel Jensen. You're probably right. Where am I getting McAdams from? Hang on, wait. There isn't Rachel a McAdams. McAdams. Who is this Rachel? Yeah. Oh, shit. Rachel McAdams is the Doctor Strange character. God damn it. Or no, <laughs> or no sorry. Act- oh, she acted in Doctor Strange. That's what I'm thinking of. Wow, that's an actress. <laughs> um, well, just her Jewish background is explored on and how that's a thing. And, and he makes more things done. It, and it's he continues it here. Um, he, it's like he's talking about... You know, the advancement of technology. The villain is a computer program. Yeah. However, mm. I gotta say, it really annoys me how much Benny is pushed to the side in this. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's so clear. Really um, annoys me. That, well, because, like, you could tell, like, because the original pitch was, oh, write me a new companion, Ace is gone. If that was the original pitch, then yeah, obviously Benny would have absolutely nothing to do with this. It makes sense, and Kadiatu obviously is is the star of this book, um, right, 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 right alongside Blackout Drunk Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it is still a bit of an issue, and it's going to be an issue for a lot of upcoming VNAs that we talk about on these on these podcasts. So, it, well, it really doesn't. It, it kind of. Yeah, oh yeah, someone gets put to the side a lot. Yeah, so I think it's until like, really, I think it's probably until like birthright, no future, where it completely uh-huh. goes away. Yeah, because even then, blood heat has that issue, and I say blood heat. Yeah. See, no, okay, no, I'll say dimension riders on dimension. Oh wait, no, yeah. no, wait, no, sorry, wait, no, Blythe had to write in the the Bernie's plot at the hummingbird, hummingbird. hummingbird. Hummingbird on? Yeah, I'm guessing it would be Hummingbird on. God damn, that hurts. That really hurts. <laughs> That's not to say, of course, that Benny has absolutely no shining moments before then, though, because Birthright is... is, is I, I think her being possessed here is at least gives her something fun in places. Yeah, um, it, it does nothing. And of course, Benny's inner monologue would have the first fuck of the VNAs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, slight issue. I it, it really is the biggest thing that detracts from the novel for me. Uh, also, the novel does kind of get like I love Aronovich's world building, but it is a bit much to take in. Oh, I mean, and what's yeah. nice is that what's nice is that there are also elements here that just they recur once again. It's like we're slowly building. Like uh, you have Florence, who, who which appears. Um, you have like Florence and the Flying Dutchman, who appeared later on. Um, wait, you two haven't gotten to that yet, have you? I got no. Mm-mm. What book is it? It's Sleepy. That that's coming. Oh out yeah, no, I, have, I I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah. Well, spoilers. They reappear. Um. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> you're you're getting you you're getting be. a a you for for our listeners you're getting a Jacob who has just played a two like a three hour show. And is is not quite awake. Um, um, but also, what else? Where, I was, where was I going with this? Um, 
Oh, You're talking else about it. Uh, talking about the the world building of Aronovich. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, like just the idea that it's a computer program, like a, a literal computer virus that takes people over and sort of brainwashes them. Um, it's, it's just such a fun idea, and it's something that you wouldn't really think of until the nineties. <laughs> like this is this is unabashedly a novel of the nineties. Yeah, yeah, but also this is like the. <laughs> How many VNAs early on are there that like take place in these in these like like extra dimensional like cyber realities? A lot. There are a lot, <laughs> and it's awesome. Because well, uh, come on, because you got like what Time War Apocalypse with uh, with the god uh, the god machine. You got Revelation with the sort of with the extra Stop. realm inside the Doctor's head. You got a uh, Warhead. How O'Hara is killed at the end. Uh, what else? Uh, Love and War, then with Pewter Space, and now this. That's half of the first 10 VNAs. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just a bit of a weird thing, but I get why, because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a new expensive idea that you can play around with in the 90s, and you, you can understand why writers would want to take advantage of that. Especially when you're not dealing with a TV budget. Uh, especially a TV budget of Doctor Who size. So, Holy and, shit, this is, this is almost an hour already, guys. We should. Uh, do we have anything I, else to add on transit? I, I, I do have one other thing, if, if, you all in, if you all will indulge me for just a second. <laughs> Feel free. Sorry. The, the, one, the one thing that, like, and like to go back to the world building, I will say that this story would, I think, would, take, would be a lot better if it took place in, like, one set setting. Because, like, very much, like, a definition of a cyberpunk novel is, like, a big world, small story. And uh, the fact that this, like, this book takes place across, like, multiple, like, locations and, like, a, a couple different planets and all this stuff, it is a bit much. And I, I will say it is a bit much for, like, the story that I think of, that the book's trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's very clear that Aronovich had a, a very clear idea for how how this entire world looked in his head, but that doesn't entirely come across on the page because it is so expansive. Yeah, I will say it is kind of a flawed novel. Um, Aronovich does the trippy extra-dimensional stuff much better in The Also People. Yeah, uh, definitely. definitely. Gives me I can agree with that. Yeah. So, um, I guess since we're not talking about its faults and sort of wrapping this up, I guess we'll give our ratings at a 10. Uh, Jacob, would you like to start? Um, okay, so when I read this in high school, I gave it a 3 out of 10. My Jesus. Has changed. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good book. Um, it's actually a great book. It just is, is, is a bit too meandering. You know, it's, it's coming across and something so tightly paced. It's, there's things that you can cut here and there um i probably give it like an eight out of ten i'm personally going to give it a seven mason well i'm gonna give it a nine first like i i get that there's flaws but i just love the cyberpunkness of this book so much i i just can't let that like detract from the story for me yeah fair enough fair enough all right, so uh, last novel of the podcast, and Jesus, it has been an hour. This is why <laughs> this always happens, Jacob. Before it was just the two of us. Now that we have Mason here, this highest science conversation is probably going to take up another like twenty minutes. All right, yeah, yeah, because there's a lot to talk about. Here we go. The highest yep. science by Gareth Roberts. Um, 
I guess I guess I'll begin. Um, so Gareth Roberts is a wonderful man. <laughs> oh, Joe, oh, no. you're gonna get us killed. Um, so, oh no. So the, uh, no, the High Science is a great book. Um, I there it's it's a bit convoluted, but also I really enjoy it. I love the concepts that it plays with. Um, I quite like the idea of the Fortean flicker. I think it's a really cool concept. Um, May not have been used as as much as as it could have been. It's a bit of an under underutilized concept. It only like shows up at the very beginning and the very end, um, or at least it's properly set up and properly utilized. Uh, but really, where the story lies, uh, where the story of this lies for me a lot is in the supporting characters, which I'm a big fan of. I particularly like the uh, the main villain of this. What's his name? Uh, uh, Sheldaker, right? Is that it? Yeah, Sheldaker. Yeah, uh, I cool. yeah. I quite like him. He's he's rather he's he's very slimy, and it's a very. I mean, Gareth Roberts. I mean, I think it's fair enough to say is is very much a, a writer modeled after the Douglas Adams style of sci-fi writing. He's very much a Douglas Adams type villain. If that makes I mean, sense. there's a reason Roberts was chosen to adapt Shada into a novelization. Yeah, and and why Roberts's VMAs stand out so well because uh, he he so understands the the Douglas Adams era of 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 Doctor Who as uh, script editor because his fourth Doctor and Romana novels are fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so, so he really stands out. His Roberts's prose immediately stands out as, as a, as a fairly modern Douglas Adams and, and just, and it just has the advantage of being prose and it, it as, as such, I'm not going to quite call the highest science on the level of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but you could very much get some, some Hitchhiker's vibes influence there. Yeah. I'll much. also say, um, I, I'm going to start with just the flaws. This novel is packed. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. The audio However, most... however, I don't think it's quite packed in the same way Transit is packed. Where Transit is packed with completely unfamiliar details that you have to familiarize yourself with before you're you're, you're done going through it all. At least Highest Science has like reference points from where it's going like its main one being chelonians like chelonians is a race that that's entirely new and you have to fully understand but as but roberts has like a blanket statement that he could like just introduce the aliens as oh they're just giant turtles that's all you need to know for now you'll get to know giant them more as the novel. turtles yeah and you'll get to know them more as the novel goes along but here's the blanket statement and, and as such i think that's a slightly better way than the Aronovich style of of introducing all these new elements in my opinion I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'd agree. Um, I just think the big stuffing is just there's a lot of plot points. Like, there's... Stuff yeah. With the doctor. There's a bit Benny much Duff going on. Your stuff with the, with the um, people on the bus. Um, yeah. Because, you know, that, that's, this, was, that, this was the story that, that, that is... And... Sorry, now you go. This was the story that, quote-unquote, inspired Planet of the Dead. Well, it did. It very much did because it was basically like a human nature style remake until they had to change the Chelonians because uh, they were they they're originally going to be Chelonians in Planet of the Dead. I wish it was a I wish it was a straighter adaptation because that would have been. Appar- apparently, they did have like Chelonian costumes like outlined and everything, but the, the costumes would have been too much to wear out in Dubai where they filmed. Why do they film that in Dubai? <laughs> I don't know. Like, Especially because Russell couldn't even go there. Yeah. Oh, also, dear. they could have gotten the same effect in, like, a studio. 
But also, like, it's not entirely described as a desert planet in the highest science. Like, it's just... No, it's clearly a Doctor Who quarry. Yeah. It's clear. Like... We, we, yeah, we've okay. seen this yeah. a million times. This is, this is like, this is the VNA we were, t- we were talking about tonight. And one of the early ones that is most suited to a television story. Yeah, yeah. Because you could see, you know... Oh, definitely. You, you could almost Which, imagine how Tilodium... Honestly, that's not a bad thing. That's yeah. not a bad thing because after, let's be honest... After three very heavy books, uh, doing it's things a, that are it, so... It's it's a relief. It, it really is. It's a really nice palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah, And not, not a palate cleanser in the same way that, like, Witchmark is, where, where it's, like, it's totally different from what you've been experiencing recently, but well, not Witchmark's in a good way. Witchmark's not a like, palate cleanser. Just... Witchmark is just shit. Yeah. Um, and, and also compare this to the last story that, that I guess is... That I guess would have been suited to television, which is Times Crucible, which was originally a television script. I think this one also comes across better because you can better visualize. No, no, no. It. Transit. Transit was a, originally a television script. Uh, I think Transit was more heavily changed than Times Crucible was, though. That's possible. I, I I seem to remember that. I think only like I think only the idea of of, of the transit system. And I think the villain was trans- pretty carried over, but other than that, I think the plot itself is, might be have been different. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, what's the uh, what's the thing that um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like that the uh, I remember in the audio adaptation has like that childlike voice. Cell. It's cell. So, that's it. I love that thing. Which, that's so, so cool. Cell's a computer that commits suicide, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I that's love this that. book. <laughs> yeah. That's this book. You can tell I'm losing. I'm 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 slowly losing the energy. <laughs> it's all good. Hey, it's Jacob. It, it can't be as bad. It's one in the morning for me right now. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> it's all good. Everyone, shun the newcomer. Uh, so, <laughs> Don't. He's great. Now, one thing I particularly like about this book is, I don't know. I don't know why. I always appreciate when a VNA writer just has the balls to to be like, you, you know, all that VNA shit McCoy was doing in the past. Yeah, let's just make him season 24 McCoy again. <laughs> <laughs> I always just kind of appreciate that. I, I particularly like the bit in this where um, uh, where the Doctor goes uh, is like working with the people on the bus and Sheldaker comes there and um, and the Doctor has to like convince him that he's just like one of the people from the bus. So it's described as like the Doctor puts on this weird accent and and, uh, and I love that. I love just like the way he's written there. I could totally imagine McCoy doing that in season 24. It's This is a very much a season 24 style story, isn't it? It feels that yeah. way. Because well, it, like, it even has like, I think it even is, has that. This is the has book that, that started the guns versus frocks argument. Yeah, because it even has it even has that sort of yeah. dark, darker ending, a la Paradise Towers or Dragonfire, despite you know there being a a relatively lighthearted story that coming before. Yeah, and I, I do think this is very much a good story to take the Sylvester McCoy Doctor out of his comfort zone of being the master manipulator, in which he's thrown up like he's thrown into the story in which he really doesn't have a, much of a clue as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, like he still has like one of those McCoy tricks up his sleeve because they set up the forty and flicker early on, and that's how he stops the Chilonians. Um And I quite like that. It's a, it's just it's just an interesting way of bringing that about. But also, like, yeah, there is a bit much going on because there is absolutely no connection between the Sheldaker uh, cell and Chilonian plot. Like, there's there's absolutely. And there's one thing. There's one thing I think the the audio drama adaptation did a better job of tightening things up with. 
Yeah, like, I'll give it that. I'll give it. That. People really don't like the audio adaptation of this one, which is weird. Really? It's it's. I've it's not ba- listened it's ba- to it. It's basically this. It, it's one of the early Big Finish adaptations, so like they're they're too afraid to take too many liberties with the original source material at that point. But they so streamlined it, things, streamline things just enough that it it makes well, yeah, more sense. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just like the Love and War one. They just cut out the the absolutely unessential scenes. You know, only only could I have seen if you absolutely have to, and that's that's it. So, yeah, I think it's a fairly straight adaptation. But again, a topic for another podcast. Isn't it odd that the way this landed, we just happened to land on three uh, stories that three out of four stories that happen to have audio adaptations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, oh yeah, period jokes. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's there. I forgot about. I forgot that. about that. You know what? It's legitimately funny. I'll say it. I think it's. I think it's legitimately funny. <laughs> Anyone? Is that just me being an asshole? Probably just I, me. Being I, an I, I think. I think I'm allowed to say that it's funny. I. I think I'm allowed to say it's funny too. I think. It, I think <laughs> it's hilarious. Because <laughs> what is it like? Um, how it's happening is like two of the Chilean soldiers are talking and they're talking about their leader. Um, and what is it called? What is it called? The. the Something is it something cycle or blood something? I can't the, think of the, what the, the blood cycle isn't it like a blood cycle or something? No, no, because they, they wouldn't name it like that directly. What do they call it? Yeah, that's true. Oh, what is it? The but but like they're talking about it's like it's like, have, it's like have, you, have you noticed the leader is, is is acting strangely lately and then they like realize that it's it, like like what time it is? they're like we've been here for nearly a month, yeah. they're like oh shit. I think it's funny. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh god, Gareth Roberts. <laughs> Can't with this man. Oh Jesus. Um. Oh, let's see. What else? Anything else with this story? I don't know. Anyway. I, I, I oh yeah, Benny is actually well someone... well utilized in this though. Yeah. I mean, it's, this it's, is definitely it's, like it's one also of the first nice stories. It's a nice breath of fresh air before you get to the next one. Oh yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. I demand that uh, the I next celestial podcast we cut co- when we cover it, we um we make it like a two minute section. That's all we do. Because Jacob, uh, <laughs> I think this is already our longest VNA podcast so far. No, no, no. We don't dwell on the you know what. We do not speak its name. Yeah, but it's author. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but on the next VNA Celestial podcast, we'll we're, we're covering five books. So yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's it's definitely oh, no. be longer. So 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 you're saying we have to make a sacrifice to one of them, Jacob? We have to we have to just sort of sort of like just shorten one of the topics immensely, and that topic will be the pit. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know what we can talk we can, instead of talking about that book, we'll talk about my script adaptation, which is better in quite a few ways. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Oh god. Uh on that note, uh ratings out of ten for the highest science, Mason. Seven. I said Mason. Oh. I said Mason, oh, asshole. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jacob. No. Well, um, Jacob gave it a yeah. seven. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I for me it's a toss up between the, the six and the for, for a six and a seven. Uh like I, I didn't really mention it during the discussion because I, I don't have a lot to say on this book. But I'm not a massive fan of the Chelonian. I'm unsure if this is a hot take or not. 
I, but, I don't think I don't think but, it's a hot take, but I think it's a hot take to me because I really like the Chelonis. No, I think I they're don't. better served in Well Mannered War. Oh and shit, that's right—they're in Well Mannered War, aren't they? Yes, and they're on the cover. That they are. I still need to read those ones. But yeah, I, I'm between a six and a seven, so I'll just say a six point five. I'm going to give it a 7, so it's fairly... And, and I, I gave it a 7 because I'm... Gee, really, Jacob? <laughs> Alright, so... I'm tired. As, as per Celestial Podcast tradition, uh, we're going to rank these books now from least favorite to favorite. It should be fairly easy. I'll go first. Uh, my least favorite is Transit, uh, then The Highest Science, The Nightshade, and Love and War. I feel like the only point we're going to disagree on here is going to be those bottom two spots, but uh, I'll let Mason go next. Yeah, so my least favorite is The Highest Science, and then Transit, and then Nightshade, and then Love and War. And Jacob, who do you, agree, my... with? <laughs> who do you agree with between us? Joey, Joey, I love you. Uh, are you serious? But oh. I agree with Mason. No. I'm sorry. What? Come on. <laughs> I, th- yes. I didn't expect that to be honest. I just I just think trans is a lot more convoluted than highest science, and really that's the only big difference between them for me. But read them all because they're they're all good slices of him. Indeed. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, that, seriously, like, like yeah, there's not there's not a bad book in the bunch, really. I'd say that like in an in an alternate universe, like if if the stories were told really well, then th- then this would have made a great season twenty seven. Oh yeah, definitely. I could see that. There are a lot of things that could make a great but season twenty-seven. You know. With, yeah. Um, uh, the season twenty-seven of Lost Stories makes a great season twenty-seven. Yeah. Which a lot of people seem to hate that entire season. But of course, you know, we'd have to end the highest science with it with a uh, with a McCoy generation into Richard Griffiths. <laughs> <laughs> with the Richard Griffiths eighth doctor. Uh, I still want to see that. I mean, I can't obviously, but I just want to fucking see that. Um, all right. Oh, yeah, so was that, was that actually going to happen? That was going to happen. He was the front runner. For he the was heavily suggested. Yeah. He, yeah. He was the front runner. Yeah. I feel like it would have happened. Interesting. Too. Richard Griffiths eighth doctor. Good God. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I guess that about does it. Uh, I guess let's do plugs quick. Jacob, anything to plug? Um, novel adaptations, as always. Um, my channel. Jacob, why do you uh, always plug the novel adaptations? They're on my channel. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm a big part of them. And well, when, plug uh, your own one, shit, Jacob. I give I'm you also, this spot for a reason. <laughs> I know. Um, my blog. If you enjoy me discussing books, I discuss books on my blog. Um, I'm currently working my way through PDAs. Um, as of recording, I'm doing unnatural hist. I'm reading unnatural history. Um, and I recently released a review of Sophie Aldred's new book. Um, I also review fantasy um, and and uh, the next fantasy slash sci-fi novel I'm reviewing is uh, it's going to make Mason go crazy. It's Annihilation. Yes. Um, Hell so yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. I really, really like it. There it is. Um, and my YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the fifth doctor and this is stuff. So I uh, which should be wrapping up. Uh, around the time this video comes out? I don't know when this is coming out. Uh, it should be out sometime this coming week. Yeah. Yeah, this will be wild oh, nice. wrapping that up in a couple of weeks or so. Because yeah. I've got like two, like a trilogy, and then outside of that, like 
four more stories. It's so like seven stories total left to do. Mm. So yeah. Cool. Uh, Mason plugs. Oh God, what what do I even plug? Uh, I have a channel very different from these two guys. Basically, in terms of I, I sit in front of the camera and I talk to it, and you can actually see my face moving with my voice. And um, I'm not really a Doctor Who channel. I'm more of a BookTube channel, which in turn means I talk about the Virgin New Adventures, and I, I just uh, made a video about the first five Virgin Missing Adventures. So if, if, if you're interested in that, you can go check that out. Um, I will say, I think the best video I've ever made on my channel is the 44 two-part long review of Theodore Gale in Oz, which is <laughs> the single weirdest book I have ever read. So I've, I've seen the video. It is great. Isn't there a sequel to it that you want to review? Yes, and I, I, I own the Kindle to it, and I'm putting it off because oh, I'm scared. No, come on, you have to do it. I, I will, eventually. Oh, but man. yeah, go go check that out. It's basically Wizard of Oz if it was a cowboy romance erotica. <laughs> and isn't like, aren't like the gender split too? Yeah, it, it's all it's all gender bent. So basically, oh. I, I, I guess I'll just say it. Basically, Dorothy is Theodore Gale, who is a playboy cowboy. <laughs> and he has sex with a furry. <laughs> he has sex with a furry, uh, as well as a scarecrow. And go watch that review, because it's honestly... Well, the best thing isn't made. there, like, an in-print version of this book, too? And I own it. It's in my house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I own a physical copy of it. Uh, and, of course... So the, the, best, uh, the, oh, sorry, uh, the, the best part about that was, trying, like, was like going to... Because uh, I don't have a Prime account... However, my parents do, and I wanted free shipping, so I had to go over there and be like, hi, can I order this book using your account, just oh, so geez. I don't have to pay for shipping? That was fun. Um, uh, but be beyond that, I also do a, a series on my channel real quick, where I, I make videos for my sister to watch when she's older, which are the videos which are titled like DE part like 46 or whatever. Which, th th those are more vloggy types. I just talk about whatever because I want my sister to have something to watch of me when she grows up to kind of just, like, see what I'm like. Uh, but beyond that, I think that's everything on my own channel to plug. So, yeah, there cool, you go. Cool, cool, uh, Also follow on Twitter. They're excellent, especially Mason, because Mason just keeps us updated in his entire life, and I love it. I love <laughs> watching every second of it. It's hilarious. Um, uh, as far as plugs... Lot, yeah. <laughs> Uh, as far as plugs for myself, of course, novel adaptations uh, coming up later this month. You're gonna get your first listen for uh, Doctor Who Warhead. Also, which also actually, casting, right? Casting uh, for. I'm gonna bring it up, Jacob. Oh, I literally, I literally just started talking about it. I just started plugs and you're like, we're gonna talk about this thing, Jacob. Calm the fuck down. Sorry, I get the book assignment for it. Is that the first time I said fuck in this entire podcast? <laughs> no, you said fuck when talking about transit at least once. Did I? Oh, we yeah. all did. Yeah, that's right. Okay, sorry. I gotta make sure it's not child-friendly, because, you know, FTC and all that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so, uh, Novel Adaptations, uh, later, coming up later this month, uh, you're gonna get your first listen at Doctor Who Warhead, which both of these lovely gentlemen are in. Uh, it'll be Mason's Novel Adaptations debut. He is wonderful in it, and, uh, let's see, then I'm coming not. up... Uh, you are amazing, Jacob. Uh, then coming up next month, we have a Warhead trailer, and then in May, we're going to be releasing Warheads. Going to be releasing in three parts. Then, uh, also coming up later this month, 
we're going to be casting our next novel. No, not next novel adaptation. The one after. So it's Warhead, then Witchmark, then the one after that is the one we're casting this month. The Scales of Injustice. It's the third Doctor uh, missing adventure. It's going to be seven parts long. That's why we're casting it so early on. It's going to yeah. be. Yeah, biggest is, story yet. It's going to be our a, biggest cast. It's going to be it's, it's one of our longest scripts. It is our longest script. Shut up, Jacob. It is definitely is, is our it longest the first script. one that's been, like, co-written? Yes. It is the first one that's been co-written. Actually, it's been written by uh, Jacob Licklider and uh, and uh, Dylan, who, uh, who's who been in the novel editions in the past. He has a pretty... He actually has a decently popular YouTube channel, Lord Slark. Uh, really exciting stuff. He wrote half the episodes. Jacob wrote half the episodes. It was really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, pain in the ass but also i think came together really nicely and so that'll be really fun to cast and by that i mean it's going to be emotionally scarring to cast but as far as later this month we actually have two commentaries releasing this month because i can't get one of them recorded and the ambassadors of death commentary is utterly cursed i've been trying to find a date to record that since last year we cannot find a time to record this and some say we we may we may never just get haven't you found one though oh so you think so, <laughs> oh, has that changed? Has your plan changed? Unfortunately, yes. So, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's cursed. So, <laughs> What's after that? What's after, uh, that? Um, after, after that uh, Web of Fear commentary with you, Jacob. Yay! Yeah. Um, I get to geek out over Douglas Camfield's direction. Uh, also coming up later... Uh, sorry, coming up next month, next Celestial Podcast, we're discussing New Who Series 2. That'll be really fun. Uh, Connor will be on that. I'm sure Connor will make the, end up making that a two-hour podcast. Uh, that'll be really fun, I think. It's such a Davies weed. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, let's see, then what else? Uh, also, later this month, a uh, new Clone Wars review. And I think that about does it. So yeah, uh, thank you uh, Thank you all for coming. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, thank you both for plugging all your stuff. Thank you both for. Thank you, Mason, of course, for coming on uh, for being a newcomer here, and also for offering some new conversation to our VNA podcast. Because wow, it was getting a bit stale just between the two of us. I'm, so, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to give some more variety to it. Definitely. Of course, of course. Uh, and to make these VNA podcasts for somehow longer than they already are. I don't know how we were sustaining that between just the two of us, Jacob. We were just, trying. This happens. No, cause, no, because we like did it with relative ease. The time worm one is is an hour and ten minutes just between the two of us. It's insane. So, yeah, thank you guys both for coming on. Thank you all for listening uh, to this podcast. Those very few of you who know the VNAs or read the VNAs that are keeping up with these, thank you guys so much for continually supporting the channel, supporting the podcast, uh, supporting everything we do at Security Kitchen Productions. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Joey Morgan with Security Kitchen Productions. Goodbye. <laughs>